With increasing numbers of children participating in athletics these days, sports-related injuries are on the rise. Our kids are running faster, jumping higher, and hitting harder than ever before. Parents everywhere face numerous worries about their children's training, injuries, and the rehabilitation. Hello, I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan. On this edition of Pediatric Chat, we'll talk about sports injuries in children and touch on many of the common concerns parents have about surgery, injury rehabilitation, and strategies to help avoid injury. As competition pushes our kids to perform at ever higher levels, it's essential that we help our kids to train smart and minimize risk. If you have a question about sports injuries, we encourage you to send it to us through the question portal on our webpage so that we can review it and post a follow-up response. To help us with our discussion today, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Dr. Paul Rosen from the Nemours Alfred I. DuPont Hospital for Children. Welcome, Paul. Well, thanks, Jay. We picked one of the hottest topics, something that we all uh, hear a lot about in pediatrics and also Certainly, we hear a lot about it in the uh, field of play, and that's sports injuries in children. And to help us with this discussion, we've brought on one of the best, Dr. Alatanda, who's a pediatric orthopedic surgeon here at Nemours Alfred I. DuPont Hospital for Children, and he specializes in pediatric sports injuries. Welcome, Al. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Al, can you just tell us about your training and a little bit about your practice? Yeah, so I have double training in general pediatric orthopedic surgery as well as sports medicine. And uh, mostly what I do on a day-to-day basis is treating musculoskeletal injuries and complaints in uh, pediatric and adolescent athletes. And how old are the kids you're seeing typically, Al? Most of the kids that I see, um, the ones that require surgery tend to be older, so they're probably 14, 15 and above. Most of your older junior high school kids and your high school kids. What kind of athletes are you seeing? Are you seeing baseball players, softball players, soccer, all all kinds of sports? Yeah, I see athletes from all sports. Obviously, it depends on the time of year. So now, you know, we see basketball players, you know, indoor soccer players, swimmers, wrestlers. But I've probably seen an athlete that plays pretty much every major sport. So you're seeing them when they're injured or when they're trying to get better at the sport or um, a mixture? Yeah. So, you know, I have two partners that are actually non-operative sports medicine specialists. So they tend to see them right after that they've had their injury and they kind of screen them for me. And the ones that tend to be a little bit more serious or require a procedure of some sort will be when I usually see them in the office. But every now and again, I see people, you know, right after their injury, I'll, I'll be the first line doc that sees them. And what are the, some of the more common injuries that are coming in now? It all depends on the sport, but overall, the most common injuries you see are knee injuries, mostly, you know, bumps, bruises, contusions, but some of your more serious injuries like ACL tears and meniscal tears we get usually in the older kids. I have uh, two boys and they play ice hockey and we're trying to encourage them to branch out into some other sports, but they keep wanting to play hockey. And what, what do you do when parents ask you about kids sticking into one sport year round versus diversifying a little? It's very interesting because that's one of the more common problems that I face in the office is really counseling people and talking to them about how they should let their child play sport or make their child play sport. But usually what I do is I try to recommend at least four months out of the year where they don't play that particular sport. So for you, Paul, if your son's like ice hockey, I would pick four months you know, around there where they, where they don't play at all. Um, it doesn't have to be four months in a row, but just play for two or three months, take a month off, that sort of thing, to really give the particular body parts and muscles and ligaments and such that they use for ice hockey a rest. If they absolutely insist on playing a sport year-round, 12 months out of the year, I usually have them mix it up and play different sports. But it's hard because the conception amongst kids and parents is that you have to play your sport all day, all the time, all year, 
in order to get good to you know progress to that next level, whether it be high school, college, or the pros. Yeah, that's uh, that's really true. We we see a lot of parents that want their kids to be pros. So do they come to you and say, you know, how can I get to the next level? <laughs> you know, they don't really come and ask that, but you can see it in their eyes when they're asking you particular questions. You know, I was fortunate enough to spend some time at Jefferson before I got here working with professional athletes. And, you know, when you kind of listen to them talk and you talk to them in the locker rooms and stuff, most of those guys actually weren't really big star athletes when they were kids. Most of them were, you know, above average. They kind of flew under the radar, but they didn't have a lot of pressure on them. They weren't pitching for like four or five teams. They usually were just good. They did it for fun. And, you know, eventually they, they got better and they made it to where they are today. But the kids who usually are like nine, 10 years old and like the, they're the best thing in the region, for whatever reason, they don't usually make it to the pros. I don't always tell parents that because sometimes it can be upsetting, but that's kind of the reality. They usually get burnt out or get injured or something like that along the way. That's really good information, Alan. I, um, you know, we're coming up on baseball season, and I think that that's probably really strong in that sport, at least in our neighborhood. It's, my son's a great pitcher. He has a good fastball, and they're hoping for the scholarship right. or the next level. What would you tell a parent that has a kid with a good pitching arm to help them navigate that right. stress? Well, pitching is particularly problematic because it's, it's, it's very repetitive. There's a lot of overuse injuries. There's minor injuries. There's major injuries. If you have a young kid that's really good, obviously we want them to pitch and have fun and you know do what they like to do, but they have to be very careful about how much that they're doing it. I would limit, it, limit them to one team, um, limit them to s- several months of the year of rest. I wouldn't have them play pitcher and catcher. A lot of people do that. So hmm. they pitch and they get tired and they go out of the game as a pitcher. Then they go behind the plate and they catch. But you don't realize that every time the pitcher throws a ball, the catcher throws it back. And a lot of it is overuse and, and it's repetition. So you really have to focus on the number of times that your kid is pitching, either in the backyard, gym class on their own. Um, it's not just on the mound what they're doing. And, it, and have you been in a situation where, you know, they're really getting to be competitive older kids uh, in their late later teens and they just want to up their game a little bit. Is there stuff we can do medically to help them do that? There's not a lot of things we can do to improve or increase performance, but there are things that we can do to prevent injury. And mostly what we do for any athlete is work on just flexibility, overall strength, like core strength, back muscle strength, quadriceps and leg strength, hip strength, that sort of thing. And uh, trying to really look at overuse and minimize the repetition of whatever the sport that they may be doing. Hmm. I guess each sport has its own unique list of things that you could suggest people do better or common problems in that sport. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, football, this is what the big three things that people should take away to to not let your their kid do or make their kid do before that sport? Yeah, um, I mean, it's hard because every, like you said, every sport, every position is a little bit different. The things that always come to mind for me is pitching, just because it's a very common position player that I see in the office. Um, And for them, most of it is working on their form and technique. So a lot of people, if they're fortunate enough, they can have like a pitching coach or some sort of private instruction. Because it's really not all about, you know, how hard you pitch or how hard you throw. You still have to have good form. A lot of the pitchers you see playing in the pros, I mean, they're just like tall, skinny guys. They're not really big, huge muscle men. It's not all about power from your arm. And a lot of the power you get is generated from your legs and your hips. And the misconception is that if you try to throw too hard, 
Um, or if people think if you try to throw harder, that you're going to throw harder and you'll throw better. But usually what winds up happening is that you just wind up injuring some part of your upper extremity because that's actually the weak link in what we call the kinetic chain. So the whole body part working together to propel something, you don't want to generate the force from your arm. That's actually the wrong thing to do. But regardless of the sport and the position, there are lots of different form and technique points that people can work on to improve performance. And Al, in addition to uh, baseball players, I understand you, you see a lot of softball players as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Could you tell us about some of the issues that are unique to softball? Yeah, so that's a really good point. Um, softball obviously isn't as big on you know the scope of sports as baseball is, but the injuries are just the same. And a lot of parents talk to me about, specifically their pitchers, they talk to me about pitch counts and regulations, and they don't have any of that stuff in softball. Mm. You can pitch as much as you want, as long as you want, as many days in a row, as many games in a day. Mm. It doesn't particularly matter. And, you know, a lot of even doctors have thought that pitching in softball is not harmful because of the, the nature of the pitch. It's more underhand as you can imagine. Um, but a lot of research, biomechanical research has shown that there are a lot of excessive severe forces that go through the shoulder and elbow of softball pitchers. So some of the research that I'm doing is trying to bring some of that to light into the public eye. My son's 13 and he <laughs> likes to play every sport that's probably bad for you, right? So he plays <laughs> hockey, <laughs> lacrosse and football. Yep. And I've had a lot of parents say to me, I would let my kid play football. You know, they're worried about concussion or other injury. It's really seemed to be changing over time. So mm -hmm. that's the last three or four years, people are really worried about that, especially with all the news in the NFL. Thoughts on that? You mean about football in general? Football, you know, the whole risk of contact sport and how to avoid those risks, and is it too risky for kids? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I'm a huge fan of football. I'm not a big guy, so I didn't grow up playing it, but I've always watched it, and uh, I have two sons at home too, and I'm still going back and forth as to whether or not I'm going to let them play. But to be honest with you, there's probably more injuries in other sports than there actually are in football. It's just that the injuries in football tend to be more severe, and they tend to be more publicized. I mean, sports in general aren't particularly safe if you play them a lot at a really high level. Anybody can be susceptible to an injury. Um, if you know your sons want to play football, I would recommend probably that they play more at a recreational level, like just for fun. Um, if you play in your local league or something, I think that's okay. But when it gets to be more of like a lifestyle and a business and you're doing it four, five, six days a week, regardless of the sport that they play, they're just making them themselves a little more susceptible to injury. Yeah, it's funny. We're not so funny, but he was on the football team and all of his friends in soccer got injured. Like no <laughs> one on the football team got injured last year, you know, knock on wood. But um, it's a scary sport seeing mm -hmm. it as a parent. In fact, personally, when my son was playing football, he'd be about to make a tackle. And I was on the sideline saying, you know, keep your head up. <laughs> and it used to be, you know, hit him hard. Hit him, hit him as hard as you can. Keep your head up. <laughs> so right. we're, we're all very tuned in. And it's worrisome for parents. They want their kids to have fun, but they don't want them to get injured. Right. They want them to be safe. Al, you mentioned um, these tournaments and kids traveling on these travel leagues. I actually have a nephew in Texas, and, and he's in high school, and he's competing at a very high level in soccer. And, mm -hmm. and I think most weekends he's traveling to Oklahoma or throughout Texas and playing multiple games and multiple tournaments. I mean, is that okay? Are, are you concerned about all the tournaments these kids are playing or the travel? Well, I mean, like we said before, it's all about how much they're doing. So these tournaments and showcases, they tend to just add to their regular weekly routine, regular weekly practice sessions. And the more that they're out there doing things, the more 
likely it is that, you know, something bad may happen. Um, it's not that it's always going to happen, but just the more you expose yourself to athletic events, the higher your risk of getting an eventual injury are. You know, when we were coming up, that wasn't really an issue. You know, in the 80s and 90s, you played soccer in the fall, you played basketball in the winter, you played baseball in the spring, and that was it. When your season was over, it was over. But now, I mean, like you said, you can play year-round anything. And it's not that it's bad to play a sport year-round. It's just that if you're doing it at a higher level and you're very competitive and aggressive about it, you're just leaving yourself open to get hurt. Concussion, that's a big deal with sports injuries. And do you play a role in that area? People come and see you for that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I see kids who may or may not have had concussions and didn't know it, and I always try to refer them to my, my non-operative colleagues, take care of people with concussions. But somebody who's been formally diagnosed with a concussion doesn't typically come to see me for treatment. But as somebody who sees athletes, I usually talk to them about their injuries, ask them just in general, like, how'd you feel? How long did it take you to get up? Or did you remember, you know, what happened, that sort of thing. And a lot of times with concussions, people don't even know they have one. You know, they'll say, oh, you know, I'm fine, but I've had this headache for like the last five days or something like that. You know, when I hear buzzwords like that, I usually try to shepherd them along to my non-operative partners. Uh, has the equipment in sports uh, improved and prevented some of these injuries, or do you think it's about where it's been? Well, specifically in football, there have been a lot of improvements, which is with the padding and the helmets. Um, there's usually thicker padding in the helmets now. They have the face masks and the guards that are easier to get off, like if you know somebody has an airway problem or something like that. A lot of the cleats that people wear in different sports have been improved, as well as the, the playing surfaces. So AstroTurf has made a lot of strides for injury prevention um, over the past 20 or 30 years, because when it was first introduced, it was just like this thin layer of carpet that was yeah. under concrete or on top of concrete um, but now there's all different types of artificial playing surfaces in astroturf and they usually make those bearing in mind that you know people have to run on them so i think they've done a lot of good in that regard let's take the field sports um, generally there's a trainer on the side now mm -hmm. uh, anything parents should be looking out for asking their coach about in preparation for their kids years is there variations that you see in how the sidelines handled and you know who's on the sideline things that parents could ask a coach or someone from school to see if their kids were optimized yeah you know I think as long as you have some sort of health care provider on the sidelines that provides a lot of extra benefit and safety to your child whether it be an athletic trainer or a physical therapist depending on the sport you know if it's a bigger contact sport like football you may want even a physician on the sidelines who's, you know, well-versed in head injuries and airway management and that sort of thing. The thing that I find pretty interesting is I do ask a lot of these kids, you know, specifically the younger, like, 7th and 8th graders, you know, well, if you get hurt, you know, who takes care of you at your game? And they, a lot of times they say no one. There's nobody there. You go to these big tournaments, these big weekend-long tournaments, soccer tournaments, there's hundreds and hundreds of kids playing, and there are no medical professionals there at all. They just get in their parents' car and drive to the the nearest hospital. So I would just ask them just to make sure that there's someone on the sidelines or readily available that can help take care of their child. So Al, you mentioned that um, knees were the most common injury. Mm -hmm. What are you doing with them? What do you see? Is it like it's been or has new technology come along to help you in the operating room? Well, most of the knee injuries that we're seeing these days is either meniscal injuries or cartilage pad injuries and uh, ACL tears or anterior cruciate ligament tears. I think as the kids are getting more 
they're getting bigger, they're getting faster, they're getting more agile. Unfortunately, they're having more non-contact twisting injuries to their knees. Mm. And that's probably the most common surgery that I do is ACL reconstruction. Mm. The techniques for that have definitely evolved over the past 30 years or so. Most of the time in the 80s, there were these big, huge incisions, kind of like people would get if they had like a knee replacement. But now we're doing a lot just through the scope with very small, minimally invasive skin incisions. And what do you do to replace that torn ACL? Is there stuff to put in there? Yeah, so initially what people were doing about 20, 30 years ago, people were repairing them, just sewing them back together. And unfortunately, the ACL is very poor blood supply, so you Mm -hmm. can't just do that. Usually that just fails, so we have to reconstruct it with something. We usually take graft tissue, either from the patient's own body or a donor, like allograft tissue, somebody who's passed away, and we use that to put into the knee to replace the old Mm. ACL. But for young, healthy people who are active, usually under the age of 30, we recommend that you have your own tissue. So I usually use the patient's own tissue for that. And for the meniscal tear, Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do with that? Well, a lot of those can be repaired, so we can put sutures right across them. Sometimes the integrity of the tissue is very poor, so we have to trim some of it out. It's called a meniscectomy. Mm. But most of the time, we don't have to do any big transplants or anything for the meniscus. That's usually a lot easier to treat than the ACL. And do you worry about what their knees will be like when they're my age? (laughs) 50. When they're a little older than they are now? Um, No, that's that's a very good concern. You know, having an ACL tear that is fixed even though you can get back to your sport and play the way you would like, it doesn't always leave you with a knee that's 100% normal. And what happens is after their injuries, we fix their knees and they just go back to whatever they were doing for the next 20 or 30 years. So we do see people who sustain ACL injuries when they're younger have a little more problems in the future with arthritis. Mm. And unfortunately, you can't really prevent that. If they're going to go back and play sports, then they're probably going to have some more wear and tear on their knee than they otherwise would have if they never had that ACL tear. So... Paul and I both exercise, maybe not as much as we should, but, uh, and we always have some aches and pains. And so the question for you is, you know, if your, your child is saying, you know, my knee hurts, you know, what do you do when do you seek your opinion? When do they need to come see you? Is right. there some, some guidelines just rest it for a couple of days and see what happens or do they need to see you more? Early? I mean, it's hard to, to make general guidelines. All kids are different and all parents interact with their kids differently. So, you know, some kids complain more than others. But I think if you start to notice that your child isn't doing the things that they normally like to do because of pain in a particular joint, I think it's time to take them to see a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. And, and a sports injury orthopedic surgeon is probably a good place to start, or do you go to your general pediatrician? Um, you know, most people probably present to their pediatrician, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, because their pediatrician can do a lot of the basic screening, you know, figure out what's just a bump and a bruise and then, you know, versus like a bigger, more severe injury. Um, so I think that's what is what's easiest for parents too, is just to see their local pediatrician. And if they're not comfortable with treating the problem, then they usually refer them to, mm-hmm. to an orthopedic surgeon. And besides knees, what's your second most common injury or other common injuries that we should talk about? Shoulder joints are the second most common joint that I deal with and operate on. Probably shoulder dislocations is a very common thing. We see that more in our contact athletes like football players, lacrosse players, soccer players, just people who collide with each other (laughs) accidentally or intentionally. (laughs) And we've all known kids that sort of can pop their shoulders in and out. At least when I was growing up, I thought that was just pretty cool didn't seem to hurt them anymore. What's, what's that all about? It's funny because that's very, very common in our, in our society. You see kids that can pop all sorts of joints out. Most of that is due to ligamentous laxity. So their ligaments um, are usually like rope-like structures that connect bones to other bones. 
But in some people, just because of who they are and their genetic makeup, their ligaments are more like rubber bands, so they're pretty elastic. So they find that they can move their shoulders in and out and pop their kneecaps in and out. Uh, most of the time it doesn't present a problem, but sometimes with a lot of repetitive dislocations and being a more aggressive athlete, they can, they can have issues. You mentioned kids get pain, and do you find that they're playing through their pain, or are they are they taking the appropriate rest and precautions, or are they just they, they just get back out on the field and and keep trying to fight through it? Um, you know, I think a lot of kids nowadays are actually playing through the pain. They don't want to feel like they can't, you know, like they're not tough enough, or they don't want to let their teammates down, or their coaches, or their parents specifically. So what you see is a lot of kids trying to fight through it and just stay out there and keep playing and hobble around. That's probably not the best way to go about it just because it makes you susceptible to injuring something else or even injuring what is hurt more. And we're trying to change that mentality, but it's hard because, you know, I don't see them until they're already in my office. You know, I'm not out in the fields with them. I'm not out at their training camps and preseason workouts and such. But when I do see them, I try to tell them that if you do have pain or an issue or a problem, that you got to let either your parent or coach know and get the appropriate medical attention. I've also seen and heard a lot of parents talk about shoes and foot injuries and the, sort of the plantar fasciitis type thing, and especially the runners. It seems like they, they're changing shoes every five minutes for a better something, better speed. Or Do you see a lot of runners and uh, foot injuries? We do. We see foot injuries, lower extremity injuries in general. A lot of it are stress fractures, shin splints, things like that mostly just from the overuse and repetitive nature of running. Unfortunately, a lot of the, the sleeker shoe wear that they, that they wear to help improve performance or that look nice aren't necessarily the most comfortable, stable shoes. Mm. So I usually try to recommend that they wear, you know, very wide-based, very flat, nice shoes that conform to their feet. And if they're flat-footed, you know, get some orthotics and things mm. like that to so, really try and yeah. keep them stable. So you can get by with a cheaper shoe, but um, as long as it has some basic fundamental right. support and as long as it provides base. good support and it fits you appropriately it's not necessarily how much it costs um, but it's more about how well it fits and how stable it keeps you are you seeing a lot of girls coming in who are in competitive gymnastics or cheerleading and they're getting ankle foot lower extremity injuries yeah we see i mean gymnastics participants are susceptible to a any kind of injury because they're propelling their bodies through the air and landing on all sorts of surfaces. A lot of it is ankle and, and lower extremity stuff because theoretically they do land on their feet most of the time. But in addition to that, we see a lot of severe catastrophic injuries just for that very same reason because they're flying through the air and they get dropped or they miss their landing and that sort of thing. That's probably the most deadly quote-unquote sport that's out there in terms of kids who have died mm. playing sports. A lot of people don't realize that. They think of football and, you know, big, strong guys hitting each other. But gymnastics and cheerleading have a lot of catastrophic from those yeah. heights. Mm -hmm. So in your team, you're obviously the main cog of the wheel of a sports medicine team. What else do you have down there in, uh, in the gym area and the sports medicine area down here? Downstairs we have probably six or eight physical therapists. Um, we have one or two athletic trainers that are all dedicated to sports injuries and rehabilitation of athletes. We also have a nutritionist on staff. We have myself and my two other physician partners who don't do surgery. But, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I try not to think of myself as the main cog. I think what the support staff does is a lot more important than what I do. You know, I'm in the operating room one or two hours, you know, doing an ACL, but the kid has to go through nine months of rehabilitation mm. and 50 visits back to the hospital. 
you know, some of us like to think we're kind of important as physicians, <laughs> surgeons, but uh, to be honest with you, most of the care that they get and the instruction they get is from the physical therapists and the uh, athletic trainers. And the special equipment down, down there to help them re rehabilitate better and faster? Um, I mean, they have most of your standard stuff that you would see in any, any large, you know, athletic gym or athletic uh, training facility. We have a couple other um, devices more specifically devoted to concussions like the Neurocom, mm -hmm. different neurologic training rehabilitation devices, but it's pretty much your standard uh, workout facility. So Al, you mentioned sort of nine months of rehab and what is that like? What, what happens post-op? It sounds like they come back and they do a lot of physical therapy mm -hmm. and how much time, do, I guess it's variable for the child, but how long does it take to get to full activity again? Yeah, I mean, all surgeons are different when they tend to release athletes. Um, I tend to use nine months just because from my training and my personal bias, I think that's a good amount of time. I mean, some surgeons will let people go back as early as six months or even four months. But all, a lot of that is not just up to me. A lot of it is up to the patient and just how much confidence they have, whether or not they're afraid of going back, whether they're afraid of re-injuring themselves or if they're afraid that they won't be as good as they were. For those of us that watch professional sports, you know, you know, people like Derek Rose from the Bulls, you know, he tore his ACL. He was out for almost 15, 16 months, whereas Adrian Peterson from the Vikings was back in about six months. And, you know, he almost broke the rushing record that year. So everybody's different. You know, everybody works hard. Everybody wants to get back. But there are a lot of small things that determine when somebody gets back that unfortunately we can't control. Mm -hmm. um, but I think nine months is a reasonable time for somebody to get back and, and have a knee that's stable and allow them to perform at the level they would like to. So when you tell a family or an athlete looks like you're out for at least nine months, how does that go? Do you get kids or family saying, well, Dr. Tana, can you shorten that a little? Or can <laughs> we, is there anything we do to speed it up? You know, that's a really great question because that happens to me all the time and when they're first come to me and they're even big swollen knee and a knee brace and you know they just got hurt in the past week you tell them nine months you know it's like okay doc fine you know let's just get this over let's get stronger but after their surgery and they get better and they get stronger the swelling goes down every time at around five or six months they show up and they're like you know doc I feel pretty good, you know, I mean, when can we get back? And, and they all seem to forget that I said nine months, about six months prior to that. And, you know, that's how kids think. They see about three inches in front of their face. They have an injury, they feel better, they want to play. They're not thinking long term, they don't think outside the box the way adults do, because we think, take your time, get better, get stronger. If it's an extra three months, who cares? But when, you know, when you're 15, that's like an eternity. And I just have to be honest with them and say, listen, I can't really control what you do when you leave here. I can only make recommendations. And what you do with that is really up to you. But just be aware that if you have a problem and you get re-injured, that can be pretty significant. Say someone comes to you and, you know, my kid's about to go into baseball season. Is there something I can do to help prevent injuries? So some exercises I could do? I know you talked a little bit about flexibility. How do parents get the information how to optimize their kids' chances of staying healthy? Yeah, I mean, they can talk to either their pediatrician or their local orthopedist, or they can come here and, um, you know, we can get them in touch with physical therapists to figure out how to appropriately go about those stretching and training regimens. There's nothing really formal to do, but it's mostly just maintaining flexibility, maintaining good core strength, eating good nutrition, well-balanced diet, getting appropriate rest, you know, all the common sense things. Mm. Anything you see on a fairly repetitive basis that you like to pass on to parents so they don't have to come see you and, and, and get the information? The main thing that I, I recommend to folks is sports participation is really about the kid. It's about having fun. It's about building self-confidence, team building, teamwork, getting exercise, and just giving them something to do that's constructive. 
You can't let it be their life. You can't let it be their job. You can't put your own thoughts and influences into their athletic participation. Mm-hmm. And it's not the end of the world if they get hurt or they can't play anymore. And to really drive things home, they should think about the number of people that play professional sports and then the number of people that play sports in general. It's a very, very, very small fraction. Your average kid has no chance at ever playing a professional sport. And that's just the reality of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. They shouldn't be doing it to make it to the pros anyway. They should be doing it to play, have fun, and do whatever kids do. That's great advice. And I know uh, one of the take-home messages for me is that you should take some time off from your sport. Yeah, (laughs) that too. (laughs) Because we sure don't do that in my household. Any comments on what you should do in that time off? We we talk at Nemours about continuing to exercise. Mm -hmm. I know that the end of the summer when hockey starts, the kids can't even make it up and down the sheet of ice without being out of breath. You do advise still staying active. Yeah, I mean, staying out of formal competitive sports activity isn't synonymous with sitting on the couch, playing with your iPad, you know, eating potato chips. I mean, they can run and do some light activities, some light, uh, lift some light weights, um, do things to keep their cardio up. There's nothing wrong with that, but really hitting it hard and playing and competing, um, they should take a rest from that. You brought up a good point that I just want to ask you about because, um, and I know we could keep you here forever. My son is talking about weightlifting, right? Mm -hmm. He hasn't matured yet used to be we talk about not doing that until mm-hmm. certain certain age it could hurt you any new science on there typically what we recommend to people is that the, specifically for boys they shouldn't start lifting weights till they're mature enough quote unquote to be able to do that so unless you have enough circulating testosterone in your body you're not going to be able to build the muscle mass that you would like to or he think that, that you six would pack. He just right can't get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know if you're eight no matter how many push-ups you do and how many you know how much you can bench you're probably not going to get all big and, and filled out And I've had kids as young as six, you know, their parents talking to me about weightlifting programs and weight training programs. I would say on average around 15 or 16 is probably a good age to really seriously think about weightlifting. But even then, it should be done in a supervised fashion, you know, consultation from a doctor or physical therapist or something like that. But any younger than that, it's probably just going to be a waste of their time and potentially can lead to some injuries. I'll let them know. Are you seeing uh, any steroid use abuse or is it that they're, they're avoiding you because they know it's bad yeah that's probably <laughs> it to be honest with you i haven't had that to be an issue in, in my clinical practice yeah. i'm sure it is and i just don't I know it or you should come over to my gym brought it okay. to my attention sure. <laughs> <laughs> any final thoughts dr rosen well jay it sounds like we have to get off the couch and stop eating the chips and, uh, <laughs> get outside but um but i just want to thank uh, dr tanda for being with us and uh giving us great information and and a great conversation. No, thank you. Thanks, Al, and thanks, Paul. I've learned a lot. To our listeners, if you have a question about this topic, or if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future pediatric chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more pediatric chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening.